Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Mike Boris, and this is Straight Talk. On my dad's deathbed, quite literally, the last things he said to my brother were, you need to look after Vincent. My claim to fame was my muscle chef and helping them execute that growth phase between 2019 and 2022. Astute agency is like a digital content agency. I'm fortunate enough to work with some of the biggest brands in Australia. Therapist calls him Little Vincent. He was like, I just want 100 grand in my bank account. I just want to see one zero zero comma zero zero zero. And I was looking at my Comsec account as $256,000. Little Vincent wasn't even in the room anymore. You made it, man. Shouldn't you be happy? You made it. Are you happy now? You learn more on the way down than you do on the way up. 100%. I was standing on my balcony, you know, late last year, six o'clock in the morning, drinking out of a bottle of fucking whiskey, thinking, this is really bad. This is really fucking hard. It's really fucking hard being me. And then when you say that, you're like, hang on, chill out, dude. You're on level 13 in a fucking apartment in Darlinghurst overlooking the city. Not that bad. It's not that bad. At that point in time, it felt really fucking bad for me. And that was all that mattered. He will be listening to this. I'll look in the camera, I'll say, I'm going to drop some bombs now. Vincent Wong, welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Thanks for having me, Mark. So what is a 37-year-old uh, Australian born of Chinese parents? Correct. Uh, growing up in Auburn, what's the deal? Where do you want to start? I mean, it all, it all started with the mentor, I think. Yeah. Back in the day. That's a long time ago. Long time ago. Would have been... I think the, sh- the mentor show would have first popped onto the radar um, when my mate Drew Mitchell was on the show promoting yeah. E Squared back in the day. Um, but to answer your question, I think I've always been into business. Um, and I think your story resonated with me purely because you grew up in Lakemba, Punchbowl area, yeah. to be honest. Um, I guess you, you, you're one of the people that beat the odds, if you will. It's funny you should say it because someone grabbed me this morning and you know, I'm right here behind my trouble, but they, it's not about me, but he just said, oh, look, it's really good that the community has somebody who's prepared to get up and say what he thinks. And uh, so to some extent, a lot a lot of people um, resonate or sort of um, like the show, not so much me, but like the show because we like to belong. We like to feel like there's someone representing us yep. to what we belong to. Definitely. And... You know, I'm the son of an immigrant. You're a son of immigrant family as well. West suburbs, doing our best in business. You know, lots of trials, tribulations, just shit happens. Mistakes. <laughs> we make plenty of them. Um, and you've gone one step, though, further. You're, you've reached out to us, or to me, 
throughout my team, but you've reached out to me to sort of come and talk about your story. And and maybe our audience doesn't give a shit about what you and I talk about today, but really I'm just doing this because you've reached out to us and I want to hear what you want to talk about. Yeah. Um, I want to hear what you want to talk about. I think to touch on your point about that representation in the community, I think the difference between, I guess, what you've done, obviously you had a pretty public profile, um, is that you've made it, if you will. Yeah. Right? Where there's a lot of people that grew up in, let's just use Western Sydney. For, we're both yeah, from yeah. Sydney, right? Um, I think a lot of people go into business, entrepreneurship's a thing. But, you know, when you see someone that's in the Fin Review that sold their business for however many hundreds or tens of millions of dollars, you often, you can't join that, you can't join those dots as a, young 18 year old Vincent or as a young 16 year old, even a 35 year old Vincent. Um, I promised myself I'd address this point with you today yeah. was I've heard you say so many times that moment after you sold to GE and you're walking back to the hotel room, you bought yourself a pizza. And every time I say that and I think about that moment is I think about a lot of people that are in business that are going through adversity, whether they're succeeding the highs and lows, that's the moment they want, right? is I've just sold my business for a squillion dollars. I can't imagine how that would feel. But I've, what I've found in, in recent years is once you reach the top, if you will, where to from there? Well, the funny thing about it, Vincent, is that I actually didn't feel any different. Um, I actually thought of myself what an anticlimax um, it is. And I, and I, become, I, I learned to appreciate that it's only one point in my life that like that it's a, it's a measurement at that one particular second at 11 p.m. at night on the 4th of December 2004 sitting in that particular spot in a hotel in New York it was a four seasons hotel which I'd never stayed at before um cuz I couldn't afford it or justify it um it was just that one moment and it's one moment in your life. It's not the whole experience I had before and it's not the whole experience I had after. And but, but you'd say that the 10 years leading up to that or the five years, let's just, I'm, I'm just having the dark here. Every moment for the five years leading up to that, going through the M&A, the raising cap, bringing in whatever it may be in business, every moment that led up to that one moment felt like that moment would be everything. That's it. But it wasn't, right? And I feel like if I can and I'm, I'm sure you can lean into this as well for everyone that is, you know, growing up, not just in Western Sydney, but people that without privilege, for lack of a better term, is that be careful, be careful of what you think is the end game. Because I can almost guarantee you it's not. Well, for me, it wasn't. For most people, it's like, I, I know so many people that will be listening to this, to the younger people, and I've had a lot of younger kids, like between 18 to 30, call it, out in Western Sydney that know that they think that I'm killing it. I'm not, but they think I am. Social media is a wonderful thing for that, for that right? Um, everyone, it's funny, with the cost of living and CPI and everything now, people still have this illusion of, I want to earn 100 grand a year. And first and foremost, 100 grand won't touch the sides in Sydney, right? After tax especially. Right. It's, it's, not, it's barely enough to live, to be honest. And mm. that's, I'm not saying that being toned down. No, no, you're right. right. But 100 grand back in 1993, sure. Right, but that illusion of six figures is not what most people think it is. And even and you've had guests before me. I can think of a few. We don't have to go into naming them, but mate, we're talking guys that are in the hundreds of millions, in the billions, and the problem's still the same. 
I think fundamentally a lot of people, especially, I know you're a little bit older than me, but I think the current culture is not conducive to preparing people adequately. You're supposed to just make money, whatever business it may be, it's supposed to acquire more customers, get more customers, buy another business, patch over another business. Buy another property. Buy another property, whatever it may be, right? And that end game, it's funny, I was just listening to a podcast as I, as I parked the car this morning, um, and it's Stephen Bartlett, which I'm sure you're familiar with. He's most recent guest talking about money, and it doesn't matter if you're a CEO earning $10 million a year, you're going to be trying to earn $11 million a year. But it also doesn't matter if you're a manager in a supermarket earning $80,000 a year, you're going to want $90,000 a year. So what do you think? So what do you think? We can't change whether we earn $10 million. We can't necessarily turn that into 11. We can't, and if we're the supermarket dude, if we're earning 80 and we want to turn 90, a lot of times it's not outside of our control. Time time will get us there, but like immediately it's outside of our control. What do you think we should be concentrating on then? Without sounding foo-foo? Yeah, yeah, totally. I think you should focus. This is, I guess, part of the reason why I reached out. In the last few years, I've gone through a significant amount of um, self-reflection, learning who I am as a man, understanding that I am who I am as a man because of almost as a direct, I'm not going to say directly, or my, my therapist says, you know, almost as a direct correlation of how I was brought up and how my parents were or were not there for me. But to answer your question, I think you need to sometimes just take a step back, take stock and say, okay, Everything's probably going to be okay regardless of if I do or don't make that extra money. And what am I sacrificing to make that extra money? Yeah, so what's and what risk am I taking relative to- What am I sacrificing? Uh, yeah. It's not just a risk, right? There's also, because risk would be- You could be sacrificing freedom. Correct. You could be sacrificing your relationship with your wife. Yep. Your relationship with your brother. I'm speaking from personal experience here. Um. But most most importantly, you're probably sacrificing your relationship with yourself. Okay, well, and I, I get that. I guess really what you th threw something out there on the table that we need to unpick a bit, what your therapist has been telling you, it's great to know that someone of your age actually is submitting themselves to therapy because I just think if you need help, go fucking get it. Yeah. And, and, and that's the first step. That, in itself just, is that comes with privilege though. Some people can't. It's because you got to pay for it. Correct. Yeah. And right. uh, but if but if you can pay for it, a lot of people who can pay for it still won't do it because they got this ego. They I had that won't yield. I had that until it all come crumbling down. So let's go back to your childhood then. Tell me about. So you got a brother. Yep. Younger or older. Older. Seven years older. Okay. So any more kids? Just you and your brother. Just me and okay. my brother. So you and your brother growing up in Auburn. Um, tell me about how you you were socially influenced, how you were formed as a kid. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. What's the deal? Where'd you go to school? Trinity Catholic College in Auburn. Yep. Park Road, smack bang, middle of Auburn. Born and raised, level seven, uh, level seven Auburn Hospital. Um, immigrant parents, obviously. It was, it was a traditional immigrant parents? Like, was dad, mum, what were they doing? Uh, mum and dad moved over here in uh, 1980, I'm going to say 80, 81. Um, my brother was born in 79. I was born in 86. Uh, moved over here 
there's a whole story there about how hard it was to get over here. They were escaping the Vietnam War. They moved to Hong Kong for a bit, and then they went from Hong Kong over to Australia. So the Vietnamese or Chinese? Vietnam, Vietnamese. They're from Vietnamese, but it's sort of Vietnamese Chinese, if you will. Right, okay, right. Chinese yeah. people living in uh, Ch- Chinese. Um, Escaping communism to Vietnam and then escaping communism again to yeah. Hong Kong and then to Australia. Right, okay. So Chinese, Vietnamese, but I am Chinese. I don't speak Vietnamese. I speak Cantonese fluently. Um, always have, uh, but I identify, identify as a Chinese person, if you will. Yep. And dad was a foreman at Arnott's in North Stratfield now. Um, prior to that, mum was working at King Ji in Wollongong because we were living there. Then we moved to Auburn, but just working, like the epitome of working class. Hard working? Like stupidly hard working. Yeah, like um, ridiculous hours. Yeah, just dumb. I just remember as a kid on the weekend, mum would make, you know, this big bowl of pasta. I remember it was San Remo pasta. It was the cheapest one at Woolies, right? Franklin's back in the day. And she made this big, because she knew that all weekend she'd be working. And she made this big thing of like, I call it like Asian bolognese. It's like bolognese with soy sauce, right? <laughs> um, and she'd be like, when you get hungry, just go to the fridge. It'll be cold pasta. Just put it put in the microwave, slap, slap a piece of cheese on top. You're good. You're sweet. You're sweet. Um, and we were helping mum because she was working at an electronics company and she was like fiddly, these little fiddly electronic bits and pieces. Uh, and my brother and I would sit there working, working on the weekend, helping her, like a sweatshop almost, if you will, right? At home. Yeah. But it was because she decided to take some extra work on and she would do it. But then obviously as kids, we just helped her, just literally assembling two bits of plastic. And I look back now and I realize how fucked up that was, right? Um, compared to people that I know, how their weekends were, how enriching their weekends may have been, playing weekend sport, you know, or just spending time with your parents and doing stuff. I didn't have that. How old were you? Would have been 10 years old, eight, 10 years old, eight to 10 years old, like that that period where my mum was, like she was quite literally working seven days a week, like literally seven days a week, 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. most days, Sunday she'd work till 5 p.m. And the whole, and my dad, of course, right, he was trying to hustle and make money as an immigrant when he wasn't being um, a foreman at, at in Arnott's. He was, you know, I don't know, he's just always being like out and shit. Now I realize it's probably a TAB on the Every horses, bed. right? When I was in year eight, year nine in high school, after high school, I remember dad used to take me to the TAB in Barella. He'd go to the fish and chip shop next door to TAB in Barella, for those that remember. And he'd buy me a fish and chips with extra chicken salt. And I'd be sitting there, not doing my homework, in a TAB eating fish and chips. And I'm like, hang on. Dude, that's not normal. But you look at it in hindsight. What did you think at the time, though? It's perfectly normal. Yeah. This is what- How good is this? It's awesome. Chicken chicken salt. Right, don't have to do my homework. Yeah. Not going to tutoring like my friends are. I I used to say to myself was, I am my dad's son. Because I see so many things in me both positive and negative, that are directly linked to him. So, well, take me through that. So, take me through the positive side of it. Mm-hmm. Now, show me the negative side of it. Positive side is you can put me in any room. People seem to like me because I'm genuine. Um, which then, if you lead that kind of skill and that personality trait into business, I just know a lot about, I know a little bit about a lot. Just that dude, right? Um, and that was my dad. He was, my, by the way, my dad passed away in 2006 of liver cancer. Um, How old were you then? 20 years old. Was right? he a drinker? Yep. Yep. Of course he was, right? Um, 
but those traits of being a man, being a man of your word. If you look someone in the eye, that's your word. That's all you've got, you know. Um, having good morals and values as a human being, right? In, acting with integrity. And most importantly, just was the best way of putting it without sounding like a stereotype? It was without being cliche, right? It's having a go when the odds are stacked against you, right? Like the, he did, he did so much random shit as an immigrant. He did so much shit, man. You had no right doing that by today's standards. Yeah, yeah. right. You're like, dude, you barely speak English, and you're having a crack. You're trying to do like helping people with immigration visas, and you're trying to do this and that, trying to help some lady in China import, export, import, export. I'm like, what do you know about that? But I'm, I am now that. As you said, they they can be positive, so correct. Never do anything. That's right. Um. So what about the negative stuff, though? I know you're asking a very tough question there. I'm trying to think. What did he do that you risk? Think? Risk. Right. Risk. Taking risk. Taking risk because. In a reckless way, you mean? In a very reckless way. In ways that. Not in a way that is, I guess, destructive, more in a way that is naive. Yeah. In other words, not properly assessing the risk is what you mean by Correct. that. Correct. Yeah. Okay. That's right. Um, do you, you do that? Yes. Or you did that? I did that. But now, now I don't. Let's just. Go to maybe when you're 18, 17, whatever. Where, what sort of shit were you and your brother getting up to or what were you getting up to? My brother's a golden child, right? Um, okay, the older child. The golden but older child. Golden, olden. He, he got, and I love him. I hope he's listening. He will be listening to this. I look in the camera, I'll say, I'm going to drop some bombs now. He got, you know, 99, 8, whatever it was. Whatever. Every, every, every immigrant's older child. Right. Yeah, but I'm like, I was like the proper dropkick though. Yeah, like he got 90, whatever it was, it was not enough for dad. It was it was enough to get in UNSW and study commerce. And Which is pretty hard to get into. Right. Um, but it was enough for my dad not talking for six weeks. No. I remember that. I very clearly remember that. Yet old mate me, when I got 40.35, fucked it up completely. Dad was like, cool, didn't expect much anyway. Which I guess sets the tone. Brother's a very successful investment banker. One of the best. I'll give you a plug. He's one of the best tech bankers in Australia. Very conservative with money. Sensible, not reckless, not naive. And I often wonder, am I the way I am because he is the way he is? On my dad's, on my dad's deathbed, quite literally, the last things he said to my brother were, you need to look after Vincent. But does your brother move his leg around like that all the time? Is your brother fidgety like you are? No, he doesn't have ADHD like I do. Oh, you got ADHD? I haven't been diagnosed, but I'm certain I have it. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. uh, I can just, like, the moment you sat down, mm. I, I noticed your foot moving up and down, and uh, and that's sort of my job. Mm. By the way, I can do that sometimes myself, but I yeah. know I'm doing, I control it. Um, but you're not in control, you're, you're not even conscious of it, um, mm. which is an interesting thing. I just wonder if your brother ha had the same. Um, I don't know if he moves his foot when he's in a meeting or when he's in an interview, but. I can probably self-diagnose why I would be fidgeting it's because I'm usually in control. And in this situation right now, I'm very vulnerable and I'm not in control. You're driving, right? Yeah. You're in the, I'm in the passenger seat right yeah. now. I don't know which question you're going to drop on me next, right? But, um, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. We, we look at our siblings growing up and the relationships we have, 
Maddie Johns, which was on the show, he was on the show recently. He said something which is just just burnt into my brain. I haven't had a chance to unpack this with my brother yet. So hopefully I'll unpack this before this airs, is you don't have to like your siblings, but you have to love them. Yeah, I think that's an important point, by the way. It's massive. Very it's, important. It's huge. You don't have to like anyone. You don't even have to like your mum and dad. Yeah, because like, you know, it's their personality is their personality. You're not responsible for their personality. You're not responsible for your brother's personality as it forms. Correct. Either genetically or socially. But it's not a bad rule. There's no, there's no reason to say you have to love them either, but it's not a bad rule, a personal standard to have, but you can still love them. You're still going to be there. Otherwise, you don't have a family at the end of the day, and family is quite a powerful thing to have in your back pocket. 100%. Um, particularly coming from your culture. Yes. My, my culture is the same. Um, not all cultures are the same, but culturally it sort of helps us fit into that culture and For sure. shows us a position of belonging, where we belong in that culture. Our culture always makes sure we love each other no matter what. But at the same time, I don't have to like what you what you do. Correct. And once you become a father, you'll also get that same mm. view of your own kids. It's um, not so much that I don't like my brother. I love him. But the last five years has shown me that we are two very, very different men. You don't have to be like your brother. Correct. Yeah. And I, But when you're growing up, and especially when he is seven years older, he's the one who is... Went to uni, works at the big investment bank, successful, good human being, rock solid human being. But we don't look at the world the same. Would you say you're not a rock solid human being? I am a rock solid human being, but you can be different. So uh, having ADHD or, or, or thinking you have it, or, or thinking you have it, mm. or at least having that difficulty to perhaps stay still, did that affect your schooling? Like you wouldn't believe. So you didn't fit in? No. I, I was in true ADHD or neurodivergence. And I don't want to say this because it's so fucking trendy now. Yeah, but everyone's the- got ADHD. But I have very clear markers of when I hyperfixate on some shit, I become really fucking good at it. Yeah. Like painfully good at it. Whatever it may be. Business. But you have to like it though. But I have to like it. It has to be on my terms. Yeah. And you look back at school and these teachers that didn't understand that and they couldn't, they couldn't, I guess, get down to my level and communicate with me effectively. I go, what, and I live in the past. What, what could have been if I had teachers that supported me? For example, I liked my English teacher in year 11, Miss Mahoney, and I came first in English. Shit my pants when they announced it, you know, at the end of the year awards. English, first place, Vincent Wong. All the boys were like, dude, this is a fucking stitch up or what? But they actually liked it. I enjoyed the way that she communicated with me. By the way, I I was pretty much suspended at the beginning of every term, end of every term. For what? Being a dickhead. Like throwing a shot put through a wall, letting off firecrackers in the fucking playground. You name it. Were you bored? Yeah. And just wanted to have something interesting or seeking attention? I guess I just, I enjoy, I enjoyed chaos. It was the attention. You look back now, it was definitely a level of attention. But I guess just, I just did what I want. How did you spend your days as a kid? Like, uh, like uh, let's say, um, let's go beyond when your dad used to take to the TAB and have some mm. fish and chips. But like when you're, when you're sort of could fend for yourself, what would you be doing? Hustling. Which means? 
going to the corner shop and asking, you know, the old Lebanese dude there how much he got the chocolate Easter eggs for. You know, those shitty ones that are wrapped in gold foil during Easter. And asking him how much he bought them for, I said, can I have them on tick? What's that mean? Get them like, I'm going to go sell them at school. On credit. On credit, right? And he said they cost five cents each, and I took them to school and sold them. You know the ones that we put on the counter at the corner shop? I sold them for 20 cents. 4X, not bad, right, for a kid. Um, you know, going to the tattoo shop in Villawood that used to be on the, near the Meccano set, uh, and walking in there, and my mate at that point, Johnny Dunn, he knew the code word to the guys that were there. And in hindsight, I think they were bikers. I'm pretty sure they were. Um, and you had to ask for bird scare to buy bungers and firecrackers and fireworks because I think they got in from Nimbin back in the day. And you walk in there and go, oh, you need bird scare. That's the code word for fireworks and bungers, right? Buy them. You know, you used to buy a box of 50 uh, firecrackers that were 25 bucks a box, sell them for two bucks each. Good bad. It's not bad. Get busted, in, get busted in the playground in high school, though, selling them because- Suspended. Of course. Um Worked at the paddle boats um, in Darling Harbour, outside front of Seagull World back in the day. Remember the paddle boats yep. there? That was me. Uh, and then realised, you know, there was a lady walking around selling uh, glow sticks and glasses and the stuff you put around your wrist, you know, the stuff you snap yep. and it glows. I thought, fuck, I reckon I could have, I could walk around doing that stuff. And uh, went to this place in Seven Hills. I think they're still there. I'm pretty sure they're still there. 25 years, 20, 20 years later, I think they're still there. Place in Seven Hills. Got a train, went to Golo in Auburn and bought like two crates, like clear crates and just walked them down the road. Caught a train to Seven Hills, loaded up with just random shit. All the money I had from paddle boats, cash money. Went and bought, you know, glow sticks, whatever it was. And me and my mate, Matthew, back in the day, one of my childhood friends, we used to just go walk around, uh, Australia Day, there was fireworks, box, like whatever, whatever the events were, it was just 10 bucks, 20 bucks. And then I le- learned about this thing, which to this day in my current business, I still have to deal with the Sydney Harbour Foreshore Authority. Apparently you need a f- permit for things. You don't just walk around selling stuff. What did you learn from that about yourself? Like what realisation did you have about yourself and how's that translated in say t- to today's terms? It's got to do what it takes, whatever it takes. What, to live, what? to eat, to make money, to get, earn my own keep. But it's not very, I don't mean sustainable in an um, environmental sense, but in an economic sense, it's like. It's absolutely not. You keep chasing. Transactional. Like you just yeah. do this thing, you probably got to spend it. Then you go think, oh, fuck, what's the next thing? It's, it doesn't have any continuous Correct. life. That's right. As, as a thing. But who was going to teach me that as a kid? See, because you didn't, we well, didn't see your dad do it. And that's what you, actually, you saw your dad do what you were doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what I mean. Yeah. But this when is... you go, for example, say, okay, dad, I'm going to go get a job like, like, you I got know. a job. I did go get a job. Yep. I was worked at the, I worked at the, um, worked at the McDonald's in Olympic Park. I've always had a job. This was on top of the jobs. Right. I've had a job since I was before I was 14. Same as your dad, though. Had a job and then you did the, the hustle like, after. Yeah, always. Yes. Always trying to work out how I can make, whenever I've been employed, it's always been, how do I do more so that my employer can give me more? Never resigning to the fact that it's like, no, you stay in your box. That's your job. You just do your job. Hence why I haven't really worked for anyone exclusively for over 10 years now. Just being in my own business, walking to the bed of my own drum. Well, give me an example of some of the businesses that you, you've you've set up. I mean, I, I guess, so you're 37 now. Mm-hmm. Last 10 years, 27. So, so you've... 
what what was it that made you decide to go into a business as opposed to these lots of little different things that you're doing, like you know, hustling and buying glow sticks and all that sort of stuff? What, what was the moment when you thought, no, okay, now I'm going to go into business? And what was that business? Well, the first serious business in regards to money and revenue would have been 2007. I just finished my advanced diploma in real estate, and then I, because I, I fucked my HSA up so much, I had to go the long way to uni because God forbid I didn't go to uni. Had to go to uni. Other my parents at that point would like forget about it, right? So went to TAFE, got my advanced diploma with distinction in real estate. Probably should have done that in hindsight. I should have just stuck with that. But then used that as um, RPL to get into business at UTS. A business degree. Uh, a business degree at UTS. A guy that got 24 months prior, got 40 in his UAI. Not bad, right? Of course I found a way. There's always a way, right? You just need to go, you need to find the way. Um, and towards the end of that degree, like it was like literally right at the end of the degree, family friend said, you know, do you want to buy, uh, said to my brother, not to me, do you want to buy a boost juice? There's one for sale in Penrith. Uh, franchise. Yes. And my brother said, do you want to run this thing after you finish uni? I said, sure, cool, give it a crack. Keep in mind, at that point, I'd already been hustling, if you will, for such a long time. Like, how fucking hard can it be? It's making some smoothies and ordering shit and selling. It can't, it can't be that hard. And it wasn't that hard. So I did that for three, four years in Penrith. Um, and then from there, rolled into, then my best mate, still to this day, um, said, hey, do you want to buy into a fruit shop? I was like, Sure. Fruit shop. Fruit shop. I was like, where? Like, San Susi? I was like, sure. Know nothing about fucking fruit shops. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, a fruit shop. A fruit, of all things, right? I was like, why was he? Why, why did he want to? He's a fruito. Right. He's always been. He left school in 15 when he was 15, and he, he's, he was a fruito then. And for me, why would I say yes? The compulsion. Bro, we earn three, four grand a week cash. I was like, sounds good to me. Whatever it is, I can do it. Like, whatever it may be, I'm sure I can put a fucking apple on a stack. Can't be that hard. Right. Um, so did that. Well, can I just stop there for a minute? Mm. Like, what? I'm not. I'm not a psychologist. I wouldn't know. But like, what makes someone like you think? Yeah, I can do that. Like, I don't know. As opposed to other people who, no, nah, it's just not my go. Blind ignorance. Is it ignorance or is it just uh, back myself fearlessness or what is it? Recklessness. I, what? What's the deal? I, it's probably a combination of all three. It's probably a combination of all three. Why not me? Are you overconfident? Yep. Yep. Learn to harness that in the past few years. Yeah. You can only do what you can do. And don't be stupid. There's some things that you probably can do or try to do, but you should outsource that to someone that does that every day. Yeah. You mean in terms right. of skill base? Correct. Yeah. What, and what about in terms of, uh, are you overconfident in terms of the amount of time that you can spend on something? In other words, you can take on 10 things which ordinarily would take someone 40 hours per per, per thing per 100%. week. 100%. And you know, you, there's no 400, 400 hours. <laughs> there aren't 400 hours in a week, but you would take on in overconfidence in terms of the amount of time that you have. I do that now. I do that I did on the weekend. I can get there for this time and do this and do that and overcommit. So now I'm, I'm very much actively working on the boundaries. Yeah. So, that. so when you overcommit, um, what's the outcome? Uh, so, I mean, do you, what's the penalty that you've had to pay over these years? You don't, when you do everything, you achieve not, not a whole lot. It's, do you disappoint people? I'd like to think not. I've always liked to think no. But in hindsight, it's funny. My friend Mir, who's been on your show, mm -hmm. Mir Oni, yeah, the, the one, the, he's got the gym. ethos. Yeah, yep. 
so I'm investing in that business as another thing because you know I can do fucking everything, right? Um, he said something probably, I'm going to say it was eight or nine months ago. It's definitely this year. He said something at a team meeting because I'm, I'm there to grow the business, partnerships, whatever it may be. He said one thing about, he said it to the team, one thing about Vincent is, try not to swear. He goes, this guy, he always gets it done. It might be late, but it'll get done. So in my mind, I, I've always come good. The term is I always come good, whatever it may be. If I'm, I will always come good. I've even come good on this thing. I'm sitting here in front of my purse right now. I sent you a DM in 2019 to come on the show. I've closed the loop now. But is, is, it, is, it, is that a, a transaction you just want to achieve? It, why, why? What drives you? I don't fucking know. They're just transactions and there's just something I want to do. I want to win. Yeah, but you, you, you want to win in your own view. Like it's correct. Because it, 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 when you say what drives me, what do you mean? Break well, that down. I, what I'm, I'm trying. What drives you to want to win? Like who are you winning against? Myself. Yeah, because I don't think there's anyone competing. No, I thought there was. Yeah, I thought I was in some sort of this sort of fictitious race that to other people was. I I am my own worst enemy. I am absolutely my own worst enemy. But that one trait in itself is what makes me so fucking powerful. And whatever I apply myself to. So does that mean then um, you're, you chase adventures? No. I'd say I'm inherently pretty, wouldn't use the word lazy because by all definition, if you look at me externally, but I'm pretty chill. But when I get interested in something or I want to achieve something, I will. I'll find a way. And people see that. The people that have been in my life long enough can see how time is relentless. That'll be my next tattoo. Be time is relentless. What, what do you mean by that? It'll always fucking catch up. It'll always catch up. Time will always catch up. If someone is pretending, they'll get found out. Yeah. If someone's doing the work in the background, they will be found out. Found out isn't a ne- isn't a negative or a positive term. It's more about we live in a culture now. I know. I say this. I'm not an old man. I'm only thirty seven, but we live in a culture now where people can fucking fake it. Yeah. They just fake it. Business coaches that have achieved nothing. Gurus, so many fucking gurus. Mm. One thing Mira and I say, he's my business partner, one of my best friends, right? You just got to eat shit. You just have to fucking get so good at eating shit. That's it. What what does that mean then to you guys in business? Eat shit. Earn your keep. Grind away. Every fucking day. Yeah. Some days will be good. Some days will be bad. Some days will be catastrophically bad. And under, once you under, which is, we, we, we both understand this, but if I'm speaking on myself here is, I don't want to be, you know, cliche or stereotypical. It's like, you know, you can't have the good days without the bad days, but it's so true. How much shit did you have to eat to sell Wizard the G? <laughs> oh my God. How much? Like, yeah, yeah. I can't, I, I don't want to, I'll sound like a whinge if I start talking. Just truckloads. Yeah. I can only imagine because my brother's in that world. I've heard about fucking IPOs, MA, all that shit that I don't fucking care about, by the way. He asked me about my gym, which one of my business. I remember I'll touch on this. What's EBITDA? I was like, I don't fucking know, bro. How am I supposed to know? He said, How do you not know? You're in business. How do you not know? I'm like, dude, rent is 110 grand a year. Membership's $97 a week. This times this minus what I got paid people to do the thing. What's left over is mine. That's how much I bank. That's it. I don't fucking EBITDA. Earnings before interest and tax and fuck. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care. And, I, and this is when I say we're two different men. Doesn't make me better or well, worse. He lives in a rules based world. 
he complies. Yeah, you don't. I just don't. Because yeah. if I live in a rules-based world, I would currently be working. And I don't say this to be disparaging. I would be probably a, ma- a manager at McDonald's in Stanmore. Nothing wrong with that. That person, ironically, in the last three years has probably been a lot fucking happier than I've been. <laughs> okay? They rock up, do the shift, make the burgers, do the drive through do the rostering, make sure people get paid, make sure the fucking 14 year olds not giving away free burgers to his mates. That's the extent of their problems. That's it. They probably get paid, I'm going to say, 100 and something grand as a store manager. There's no better or worse. That's what I've learned. There's no better or worse. How many deals were on the table? How many people who are, oh, we'll, val- we'll, we'll value at this. We'll do this. We'll raise cap at that. We'll dilute at this. And you're like, fuck yeah. I've been eating shit all these years. How many? Just fell through. How many? 50? Heaps. 50? Um, Hundreds? Probably 100 over right? the years, yeah. Anytime your name has come up, whenever I've said Mark Burris, you should listen to this podcast about him. He's had this guest on. You're a very polarizing character. Do you know that? No. no a lot I, of people don't like you, apparently. Yeah. Do you know that? Oh, I expect that. I do. I definitely know some people that don't like me. They're like- I, I know who they are. I reckon there's heaps that like don't like you that you don't know and mm. they don't even know why they don't like you. Mm. Honestly. Yeah, I get it. They just heard it. Like, I've just said, I've heard people, I can't, I'm not going to name names, but I'm just going to say, generally speaking, there are some camp, there are people that are like, oh yeah, Mark, where is I listening to this podcast? But then there are people that, oh, haven't heard good things about that guy. Oh, be careful. I'm like, fuck, I'm just telling you to listen to his podcast. I'm not telling you to make love to him. <laughs> Literally just telling you this is a good episode he had a guest on. That level of resilience that you had is why you, by conventional standards, made it by money. But you've also been very candid with your story about the marriages you've had that have failed, relationship with your kids or whatever it may be because of that. What did you sacrifice to make it? And if you could have your time again, would you have made the same sacrifices? Maybe not, but I made those sacrifices out of naivety as opposed to um, anything else. But you only learned this in hindsight. Yeah, well, everything I realised in hindsight. And right. um, and I think that, you know, just on the – Richard Branson said something to me once very interesting. He said, Mark – he didn't call me Mark. He didn't know me well enough to call me Mark. He just – I was having to be sitting next to him on a plane. He said, at the end of the day, in, when it comes to branding, if 50% of the population like you and 50% of the population don't like you, that's okay. Because it's the fifty percent who like you that matters. You don't really care about the others. You can never. You're not even never going to get a hundred percent of the population. You get it better to be fifty one percent, if possible. But it doesn't really matter. Even if only thirty percent like you, that's a lot of people. And if in terms of your business offering, whatever it is you're offering, that's pretty good. Yeah. So it doesn't matter whether they like the name Wizard or Virgin, whatever lo- it may be. As long as they remember it, that's all that matters. And as long as you're talking about some me. like. Yeah, and also if you're talking about me for good things and I'm ultimately providing fundamentally a good service. You're okay. I remember in 2004, because I was a footy fan growing up, still am now, but not so much. I, unfortunately, I'm a, I'm a Tigers man. Um, but West Tigers. West, West, West Tigers. Days. West Tigers. I remember in high school seeing, you know, your stupid ads on TV, the Spank the Beast ad. Oh, you remember the ad? <laughs> I was like, fuck, that's, that's wild. But it probably resonated with me before I even realised. We got told to take that off the television. Of course the, you did. The standards, the standards committee got us. Yeah, imagine you imagine you put that ad up these days. Holy oh, shit, forget about it. You wouldn't even make it there. It wouldn't even, it wouldn't even get past we, the, no, the sniff not, test now. Well, no, well, the, the people who made it for us wouldn't make it. Yeah, because it, we, 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 that's a whole different episode, Mark. The, that, the world that we live in now about, you know, wokeism and 
anyway, that's I mean, if you go onto YouTube, you can still see the Speak the Beast ads. Um, yeah. uh, Wizards Speak the Beast. Um, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, it works. It gets people talking, right? And I remember Ray Hadley bringing me up one day, and he said, "Mate, you got to get that out of my. Um, uh, you got to get that off uh, free to wear, um, and should only be there when adults watching television. No kids, can you get it off the show?" And I end up doing it, but um, but the uh, advertising stands committee or council, whatever they call themselves, got me. Yeah. Um, I'll never forget that. But it was actually, I thought it was a funny ad. But I, I just it was, because it was funny. I still remember it and it's 20 years down the track. So it was reckless bad. in hindsight because I really didn't think it through. But it so, worked. Uh, it worked. But it got you to that moment in the hotel room with the, with the pizza. Maybe. It, it played a part. It, it, or everything plays a part. Right. I think everything plays a part. So, like, if, if did you ever do anything, Vincent, though, that given what you've said, okay, do you tell me what businesses, what things you've done in business and bring us bring us bring me up to COVID period, for example, whereby you've had a crack, which is great, but it's but you haven't done your homework and it hasn't hasn't turned out the way you sort of dreamed it might. It did work out in a, during that time. It did, and then it came undone. Well, so tell the, me about this that. This is the I guess is the the, the juicy part. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. So there was the boost juice. That year it was 2007, 2010, 11. Then there was the fruit shop. Where well, was, so what happened to the boost juice? You sell it or close it down? What happened? I uh, sold it to a family member. Yep. Yep. So technically I haven't ever failed in business. Okay. So you sold the boost juice? Yep. In Penrith? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So then, right. the, then you had the fruit shop? Yeah. The fruit Susie. shop. Yep. Dealing with a bunch of Greeks, by the way. Yeah. I learned very, interesting. I learned, oh, mate, it's a different breed, the old generation of Greeks. Yeah, yeah. It really is a different breed. Yeah. You're not allowed to make money. Only they're allowed to make money. Yeah, correct. Right? So yeah. my best mate's Italian and my business partner's Italian. And I learned all about, you know, Greek Easter and every Greek Easter, they come in asking for the flauna and they want to make the soreki. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I'm Chinese. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about, but I'll figure it out. I'll find the cheese guy that makes the cheese that you need to make your Easter bread. So that's another example. It's like I had no Sureki, fucking- by the way, just for those people living, yeah. is, is a sort of a, it's for Greek, it's not for Australian Easter, Easter yeah. but it's a different Easter, but it's sort of like a, a woven, glazed, uh, sweet bread type thing, with the, usually top. with an egg in the top in the middle. Yeah. And uh, you give it, you share it amongst your family. It's a it's a celebrating thing because probably speaking, you're not supposed to have anything sweet for 40 days before Easter Sunday in the Greek, in the Greek calendar. Yeah. And on that day- you go mental. You go nuts. Yeah. And I learned all about that because being in San Susi, Greek Central, so many Greeks, right? I remember you used to buy, you know, the Donny cheese 
where they sell it literally at a dollar below cost price. Oh, but in Coles Ramgate, they sell it $17.99. I'm like, fuck, all right, <laughs> we'll lose a dollar. And then you come and buy the Agulis olive oil. And I'm like, fuck, man, like this is business. I just hope that you buy one pack of fucking pistachio nuts on your way out and I make a dollar eighty on it. Never might break even. Right. Or you don't buy when you don't just come in and buy that stuff on special and then go to the specials bin and just buy the broad beans when we're already losing four dollars a kilo on it. So this is all business, right? So then there was after that, um, I went and became, you know, national sales and marketing manager for a gym equipment company called AlphaFit. How I got there is interesting. Once again, is that application of who I am as a human being is at the fruit shop, funny, when you were waking up at four o'clock in the morning and finishing at seven at night, you don't go to the gym. You just eat like a fucking fat degenerate. You just have pasta and you've got Nonna bringing in big plates of pasta because she wants a discount on her next purchase. And you're just eating and you don't, and I got so fat. Always been a problem. Weight management, always been a problem. And after we finish up at the fruit shop, I... How much weight? How, how heavy would you have been? At my peak? Yeah. 118 kilos. Shit. No training, right? No training. And then I found I found Jesus in CrossFit. I, I, I joined that cult in 2012, uh, 13, 12, uh, 12. Started in 12. Of course, being me, ADHD, went fucking all in. F- all in. Did you own a gym, mate? No. No. It's all just in training. in the sense trained, right? Trained. First thing to kick it off, you know, of course, because I don't do things by halves, book myself a one-way ticket to Thailand for four months. Just like, fuck it, see ya, right? Just to do what? Kickboxing, um, just to lose weight. Like that, I look back now, I go, that's not normal. No one just does that. No one you've got a long Normal term. for you. But normal for me, I'm like, fuck, I'm going to do the thing. I've got to go do it. I'm just going to go do it. That kicked off the fitness journey, if you will. And this will bring us to current day almost, This, the next eight years of that, that part. Um, leaned in, started CrossFit. Anytime I get involved in anything, I become really involved. And I'm trying to- It's not an obsession. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not a bad thing, but if you don't keep it in check, you can lose a lot of stuff in the process. So started doing CrossFit. Of course, I became one of the main guys at the gym, you know, training, lifting heavy, competing. Validation in hindsight. I just wanted to be the fucking cool guy, didn't I? In hindsight. And that kicked off. Started training. When I talk, I'm talking about ten times a, day, a week. I'm talking two times a day, like an athlete almost. Right? Is, it, is this an example of hyper focus? Absolutely. Like, yeah, have to get good at it. I remember there have been countless, countless, uh, countless times when I was at um, uh, Rush Hour Fitness in in Rattlemere at that point. It was a 24/7 gym, and on a Friday or Saturday night, Ellen, my wife, and I, I'd be there. I have to fucking power clean these hundred kilos. I'm not leaving until we do. She just put up with it. I'm like, dude, it's fucking six o'clock on a Saturday. Go home. It's like, I'm not leaving until I do it. And of course, as human physiology would suggest, if you don't get it at six o'clock, you're not going to get it at 8.30. Hmm. <laughs> but I'm going to do it. That's, but you know what? I ended up becoming one of the strongest dudes in my peer group. Became super fit. And of course, that led into the next obsession was, I'm going to open a gym. Right? Um, and that time, so 2012, 2015, in that point, of course, I started working in the industry as well because I'm a chameleon. I'm just going to go into that, right? And there's nothing wrong with doing that in life. Is You should be fluid in life. But I've also realized I've probably done, in my short 37 years on earth, I've done probably 10 times the amount of occupation and things in my life than the average normal person. That was in a lifetime. And then some, right? 
And I think the the gym thing was good. I was working at, as I said, Alphafit, um, which is a national equipment supplier. Like they make rigs and racks and barbells and bumpers, all the kind of stuff for strength and conditioning. And I then opened my own gym in 2016. I go, fuck it, I'm going to do it myself. And we opened up on Clarence Street, of course. In the city. In the city, right, in Clarence Street. Funny story, when people tell you you can't, I remember Boxing Day 2015, you know, you're sitting there talking shit with family members and extended family. I said, you know what, next year I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fucking open a gym, I reckon. And we had a couple of family members there, so doubtful. How are you going to do that? Like shitting on my dreams, just shitting, like absolutely shitting. I had like a little 2D render, like a sketch on how it was going to be, where the treadmills would be, where the rig and rack would be, where the sled track would be. It was going to be just between 250, 300 square meters, where the reception would be. I had it all fucking mapped out. She's like, how are you going to do that? Who are you? In the city? Fucking watch me. And I did it. So you opened up a gym? Yeah. It was fucking a good one, by the way. Um, what was it a brand? Was it, a, it was called Serotonin. Um, serotonin Strength and Fitness. Got fucking sued. Found out about Trademark real quick. Some loony in Melbourne. Shout out to her. Owns a fucking cafe called Serotonin. She sued me cease and desist. I'm like, what the fuck's this? Oh, I've got it in all classes and categories. I'm like, you're a fucking cafe. You're a vegan cafe. You're a vegan cafe in Hawthorne. I am a strength and conditioning gym in Sydney. Okay, sure, we'll change our name. Turned out... My therapist says, sometimes things, sometimes gifts are wrapped in shit, right? I was like, okay. Spoke to the law. Of course, my brother knows some of the best corporate lawyers in Australia. They said, yeah, well, technically, she's just, she goes, do you want to fight? It's going to cost you like 15, 20 grand just for us to take this thing. And she'll probably win because she, by definition, can say that she has the intention to open a gym under this brand and she'll win. I was like, fuck, man, whatever. Change the name. Change the eye on training. So we opened the gym. I had two business partners at the time. Um, both played at the Roosters, by the way. Both played at the Roosters. Ex-players. Ex-players, yeah. Um, I don't even remember. Reese Pritchard and Matt McElrick. For people that can afford premium training with seriously qualified coaches, we thought we'd fill a gap um, for people that didn't want to pay, you know, because realistically, you know this, if you want to get, if you want good results and you want, if you want to basically be, be able to layer on results week after week, you need to be, Intensity-wise, volume-wise, at least three times a week, three yep. decent sessions a week, right? And, and, most, and with somebody showing you what to do. Correct. Most people can't afford three PT sessions a week. Most, Even if you're earning three, four hundred grand a year, it's a lot of money. Yeah, it's, it's three, four hundred. It's three, yeah. four hundred bucks a week, right? It's, it's just a lot of money. Yeah, it's after-tax dollars. Exactly. Um, of course, you think like that. <laughs> um, so I thought there has to be a way to do this, right? We'll go one to six, as in ratio of one coach to six people, Uber premium facility, ridiculously nice showers. Of course, I had to buy the Dyson hand dryer because I always fucking wanted that thing, right? Did my ass on like the fit out. In hindsight, beautiful thing. Mark Burris, if he comes in and trains, he doesn't fucking know if it's a $4,000 treadmill or a 30000 He doesn't fucking give a shit as long as it's working. Mm. He doesn't care. Um, I don't even care if it's second hand. You, you wouldn't even know. You're not going to ask, right? Yeah. But for me, it was for me. That's the thing. It was for, I want to walk in and be like, this is the duck's nuts. This is fucking the best flooring. Anyway, it worked well. The business went well until COVID. Yeah. Well, all gyms had a bit of a problem around COVID. Period. You reckon? Luckily, in 2019, I started a side business accidentally. 
I don't, I don't be, I'm not trying to be facetious when I say that. It was literally by accident. And it's currently my current business, which is um, Astute Agency. Which is? A marketing, marketing agency. It's, like, so, it's, it's, so, it's so self-deprecating when you say just a marketing agency. It's not just. We work with some of the best brands in Australia, health and fitness, that wellness space. Um, my, my claim to fame was my muscle chef and helping them execute their growth, that, that growth phase between 2019 and 2022. Um, the ambassador period, on the, basically or their first out-of-home campaign on TVs and buses. This dumb fuck was just a PT and then somehow was rolling out with some of the biggest brands in Australia. You're like, how did you do that? People still, I still ask myself. I'm like, well, I kind of have always, those tra- those those skills have always been within. It's also just figuring it out. And But I started that accidentally during COVID because one of my members, a good friend of mine, she became the marketing manager there. And at said, where, where? At, at my muscle, muscle shop. Yeah, yeah. And she said, hey, the content that you do for the gym and like the other brands that you guys, because we collaborated with a lot of gym, uh, a lot of brands, like Lululemon, Body Science, Skills, Garmin, big brands that I, just like my dad back in the day, had no business dealing with. But they wanted to be associated with us. So I guess me building a kick-ass facility where, you know, the boys, the, the Blues, the Origin boys would come and do their pre-camp. Trav Tuma would come in and bring them in for training. Um, and, you know, when the Origin, like, I'm like, how did all this happen in my fucking life? Was I at Frudo like five years ago? And now you've got the Origin boys here training when the Broncos came down because in that world where I was a national sales and marketing manager at AlphaFit, I met all the head of performance. It's funny how things just come back together, right? It always comes to Well, you got to take the opportunity though. Yeah. Well, you also just have to be like, yeah, I'll figure it out. I can do it. I can do it. And so the agency started because- By accident. 100%. So when I say that, people think I'm being a smart ass. She literally said, hey, really like the content that you do for the gym and the partnerships you do with the brands. Do you reckon you can do some short videos um, for, for our rebrand? I was like, sure. How much money you got? I, I didn't know. She wanted you to produce the videos. Yeah, get, get influencers. Yeah. Get influencers that we had, which were essentially my friends. Yeah. Just fellow business owners and as in in the fitness industry, yep. influences, if you will, right? To talk about you know, the, the quality the food of food. And it's how, you know, for, about that point, it's for everybody, every goal, whatever it may be. And that kind of, that was the platform, man. I think that was, that was the impetus for me to go then, okay, cool, this might be a thing. This, this could be a thing. So what, what's the agency called? Astute, A-S-T-U-T. So Astute is a, the Astute agency is like a digital content agency. Influencer management. Influencer management. And yeah. I guess I would like to now think it is marketing consulting. I have brands and organizations that come to me for my advice. I've always wanted to be on a board. I mean, you know, brothers, I've been on a board. I'm like, I guess I'm some sort of external board member, if you will. The guy that wears T-shirts because you'll never catch me wearing a it's suit. Better, better spot to be. Right. So, like, so it, it just if I could just COVID actually was good for you, but so it wasn't because it fucked me up. But I even in the gym, it did. Yeah, but also started drinking and doing drugs. During the COVID period? Correct. Was that your attempt to run away from the issues? I don't know. Still working through that. Yeah. I don't know. But are you, are you over that now? Yep. Yeah. And, and therapy. Yeah, and therapy's more. helping to do that? 100%. Yeah, so, but you still have the digital agency? Yep, still yep. doing that now. So That's do, what I'm going do, after do, this. So does drugs and um, alcohol actually help you become more creative? No. 
<laughs> so what? what? No, not, for, not for me. Then no, no, no. Okay, so, no. so but, but it was more like because I mean a lot of artists. I think I was creative. just bored. I'm not that. I'm so let's differentiate that, right? I don't think I don't want to take credit from my team. I'm not that creative. I am. I'm just a ringleader. I'm just a guy that I like to say. I have to go and fish, and then when I bring the fish back, we gut it and eat it together. Because if I have ADHD, of course I can learn how to take a photo. Of course I can learn how to record a video. Of course I can learn how to do graphic design. I have creative input, but I'm not, I can't do the thing. Yeah, you're not the creator. No, but but that's because I'm getting older and wiser and, and understanding that, sure, I could go on masterclass.com or Teachable and YouTube and learn how to, you know, do what Jess or Jono or your team do in recording and sound and like, yeah, but that's not your time best spent. It's not... But ironically, the agency started because I did do that, because all the content I created for the gym didn't go unnoticed so, in the big in the world, right? So, so astute now. Yeah. Sort of what level of clients do you have? Like it's, you're still running the astute now. It's yeah, still, yeah, it's absolutely. Still you got the gym? Still got the gym? No. So the gym, they wanted us to renew the lease last year in August. I was like, dude, there's no way we're renewing on those terms if foot traffic is still, still at that point, 63%. Like, yeah, no gy- gyms are down. Every, Forget they, about they it. They haven't actually recovered. They haven't recovered. Most right? gyms have Which not Which is recovered. something, if I'm on the mentor one day, we can talk about how fucked up that was, how poorly managed that was. Ridiculous. But different conversation, that one. No, gym, every gym that I know, every gym owner, big ones, um, none of them recovered. I know. Um, it's just, and it's know, not because it's, people at home are doing you know, gym work at home. I just, I don't know what the reason is, but yeah, what is, you yeah. want to know the reason? Yeah, yeah. It's a clusterfuck of lots of existential circumstances that have all culminated. People don't have money. There's that. I think people will never place the value on health and fitness that we want. I had this conversation with a friend, a fellow business owner last Thursday. He came into the office to catch up. You can't PT people for more than $100, $120, $130 an hour, whereas everyone else can put their prices up. But most importantly, it's, not, it's, it's almost not feasible to open a gym in Sydney. Let's put, a prim, let's put a ring around it, right? Your per square meter is ridiculous. Rent, that is. Correct. Relevant to yield, right? You're just like, best case, bumfuck nowhere, back street of industrial area. 350 a square. Call it 250 a square per square meter. Do the math. 300 squares, 90 grand plus GST outgoings. How many members do you need? Then you got your coaches. Yet everything's gone up, including electricity. All your outgoings gone up. But people aren't willing. If I said to you, Mark, right now, how much is group fitness to you? Training per week, how much are you? What do you think the market value is? No idea, because I don't train group fitness. 50, 60 bucks? Uh, per week? Give it to pro- give or take. Pro- it's, probably, it's probably around that, yeah, right. 60 bucks. Depending if you're in East, 60, 70 bucks. Yep. Doesn't touch the sides if you're charging that. And then you've got a you've got a very real issue on how many people you can fit in a space. If you fit too many, people say there's too many people, I'm not coming. No, I can't book in. So that's why the fitness industry, it's it, it'll struggle. I know, I know guys that I literally have been consulting in this space for the last 10 years, and commercial gyms are starting to pick back up, you know, with Quadrant of NFLG, they're starting to pick back up. Harry at Viva Leisure, starting to pick back up. But that's a property play. There's, that's what underpins their value, is that if you're buying a block of land and in the long term paying it off with a profit from the memberships, sure. But if you're paying 3 million bucks a year rent, you're never going to make money. 
Mm. You just won't. It's, it's not possible, right? So there's that. Boy, in some respects, the landlord did you a favour. Um, yeah, absolutely. Put, put, put me put out of misery. Yeah, yeah, quite literally. literally. Because you had to make a call. Yeah. And now, if I look at you know, your astute business as your business, and it's a digital marketing business, content business, content marketing and marketing. And management. The big and, thing is talent management. And talent well. management because you find the influences yep. that you put into the content. So if I look at Vincent today, what's the difference between Vincent today and Vincent when uh, he was a young guy hustling around the joint? I don't know, not much. Not much, it's more structure. Well, take me through it. Structure. Discipline, growth, slower growth, being less reckless, taking a step back and just looking at things with a bigger lens and not just the right now, bro, I'm going to make 30 grand or like next week if we do this thing. It's like, yeah, but what's that going to cost in the long run? So does that mean that Vincent has learned how to ask questions? Because before, before, no, you wouldn't listen to anybody. No one's going to ask you the questions and you weren't asking yourself the questions, is the difference between, you know, you, you, you still execute with the same amount of energy and passion yep. and uh, mentality and uh, probably, yeah, like you hyperfixate in terms of the execution, that, that those things are okay. But before you do these things today, you you now have someone on your shoulder you're ask, making you ask the questions. Would that be... Yeah, that's hundred. That's one hundred percent accurate. That is absolutely. You've absolutely nailed it. But if you go back now to the young kid, who's probably not getting a lot of direction from his dad, would you say that you're still the same guy, or have you had to force yourself to become someone else? I've had to force myself to become someone else because I've gone through some shit in the last two or three years, where I've. I'm, but what gave you the resilience to get through it? Do I have a choice? Yeah, but some people don't have a choice. Some people have no choice, but they still can't pull themselves through it. I was standing on my balcony, you know, late last year, six o'clock in the morning, drinking out of a bottle of fucking whiskey, thinking, this is really bad. I'm not going to talk about suicide and ideation and stuff. I was like, this is really fucking hard. It's really fucking hard being me. And then when you say that, you're like, hang on, chill out, dude. You're on level 13 in a fucking apartment in Darlinghurst overlooking the city. It's not that bad. It's not that bad. Worst case scenario, move back to Auburn with your mum. She'll make you some fucking noodles. you got a bed there. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, you could afford to buy the whiskey too. Right? Macallan 15, by the way, out of the bottle. And you're like, but perspective and comparison is really dangerous too. It, at that point in time, felt really fucking bad for me. And that was all that mattered. It, Do doesn't you know matter, it doesn't matter how you compare to everybody else. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, you're feeling bad for yourself, That's relative to yourself. You know, when parents say to kids, my parents never said this because my parents were Asian parents and I ate everything. But you know, when you hear about this, it's just a joke. Like parents say to kids, oh, there are kids in Africa that would kill to eat that broccoli. Yeah, but I'm not a fucking kid in Africa. Hmm. There's no logic in it. Right? Yeah. So it ultimately matters on what you're going through at that point in time. Are you happy now? I am. Happy enough? Uh, not even. I wouldn't even qualify the same like that. I'm just really fucking happy. I'm just happy to be here. The last couple of years has been so hard. People don't know. Social media is fucking awesome. And will you continue on with your therapy? Absolutely. It's part of therapy is like this. It's, it's a I shit know. word, I get it. People think it's, a, they, it's, it's not a shit word. It's a beautiful word, but there's definitely connotation. It's turned there's out to be privilege a to it. There's you're not quite right. It's trendiness. 
trendiness, ADHD. Yeah, I'm seeing my I'm seeing my therapist. Yeah, I'm seeing my therapist. It's like I, I just I catch myself saying, I'm like, fuck, dude, you grew up in Auburn. None of your fucking mates are going to therapists. You're an idiot. You sound like a fucking wanker. But like, even the ADHD thing, like we touch on that. Like I know, you know, one of the guests was resonated so much. It's because of one of your guests, um, M. Rusciano, yep. talking about being neurodivergent and how she was treated and at, at school. And I was like, fuck, man, that was me. That was me. No one ever understood me. And I'm perfectly fine. I'm sweet. I'm a, I'm a good dude. I got a lot of people that vouch for me. Right? And I'm like, I'm not, a, I'm not a piece of shit. I'm not a dickhead. I'm a man of my word. I always come good. I've got my flaws. We all do. But I look, when you ask, am I happy? I'm like... You have to at this point in time. Yeah, because right now, right now as, as I sit here at eleven forty-seven on, on Monday, day. on this day, I've not been better in my entire fucking life. Doesn't mean you won't get more happy. It doesn't mean you won't Correct. have more happy days. Without once again sound like a fucking cl- a cliche, you learn more on the way down than you do on the way up. Hundred percent. Well, it certainly makes you appreciate a little bit of up when you get lots of downs. You get to put it in perspective. You know that kid. You know that kid that we talk about. Therapist calls him Little Vincent. And I was like, I just want a hundred grand in my bank account. I just want to see one zero zero comma zero zero zero. What about during COVID when the agency was going well? The gym was shut, but still getting payout payments because our government is like that. <laughs> And I was looking at my Comsec account as two hundred and fifty six thousand dollars. I looked at my crypto Coinbase account, uh, uh, Coinbase, CoinSpot, the Australian one, hundred and fifty six grand. Little Vincent wasn't even in the room anymore. <laughs> we forgot about that little guy, didn't you? You made it, man. Shouldn't you be happy? You made it. Go buy that Rolex you wanted. Go buy that Huracan, the Lamborghini you wanted. Go buy it. Why weren't you happy? Because no one told you how to be happy. No one told you what happens when you get to the six figures. No one tells you what, no, no one tells kids growing up out West and for the wider audience, kids that socioeconomically are disadvantaged. Let's put a, put a ring around that, right? You're like, what is making it? Oh, he's made it. Or made it how? Made it how? He's got a Rolex and he's driving a fast car. Wow. But his wife doesn't fucking love him. He's got a bad relationship with his mum. I'm not talking about me personally. I'm yeah, talking about in yeah. general, right? And I think that because I, I, can't, I can't make absolute statements. I can't say I figured it out. But because I'm at least cognizant and aware of that now, I'm happy. Is, is it about you sort of paying forward yeah. to kids out west? Wherever that matter, but whoever kids. the fuck needs it, yeah. it's not even kids. It's just whoever is going through it. Because by the way, I look at my nephews, and I don't want to get personal because my brother will get the shits. Like they are the opposite of how I grew up. You know, they go to private school, they've got it all. Mum and dad give them all the time, but I now often wonder when I look at them, they're so beautiful. These kids, they're such fucking beautiful kids. What's going to be your problem when you're thirty-seven? It's going to be your thing. What does privilege take away from people? Because privilege has a cost. Absolutely does. And so, then you get the other side of people. Like I've, I've been, I know, I know the bottom end of town, the top end of town. I associate with a, whole, a, bunch, a lot of different people and I just think 
I can't name names because you probably know this dude. Mega wealthy. And you buy your son a secondhand Corolla to drive into the mansion in the northern suburbs of Sydney. Who are you trying to prove a point to when you do that? I remember thinking that when I was in my early 20s. We saw it unfold. We are like, dude, you're worth like over 100 million. And you buy your son like a 16 grand Corolla. Are you trying to prove a point to yourself or to him? You couldn't buy him like a new Corolla? You have to buy a second-hand one? You're trying to like strip him of the privilege that he's got? Because all we just said, the only thing that matters is your reality. And his reality, that kid was like- You're being mean. Yeah. All my mates have nice cars. Why are you treating me like a piece of shit? Yeah. Why are you being a scumbag? Because I understand it. Do you think he was right in doing that? I don't know the answer to it, but it, it, it's one I struggle with many times over. But um, one thing is for sure what you say is correct. Your kids, if they're all the other people around them, have got are getting the so-called privilege, they're getting a new Corolla, they don't understand, they get very confused why you've done something. And all, that can actually uh, backfire against you. It can actually alienate your Resentment. relationship. Yeah, absolutely. It can, it can work the, against you. It can also alienate them whether you mean it or not. It can alienate them against their peer group. Yeah, no, totally. So right. it's a very difficult decision to make. The, the long and short of it is this. Not a parent. You are. You've got the, you've got the years on me. I don't want to go too deep here, but there's no right or wrong is what I figured out. Yeah, well, I think what is right or wrong is that you've got to be prepared to admit that you made a mistake <laughs> and then be prepared to fix it. it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and you, are, I think what is the most important thing in these environments and you, you'll experience when you have your own kids is that you have to be that person who's prepared to say, should I got it wrong? Make a call, but be the person who's prepared to say, should I got it wrong? And then effectively pivot. And But then you've got to work out how you explain it to your kid so it doesn't look like you've capitulated. Like mm-hmm. in other words, you, you've got to be make sure that your kid understands you, you commit to your decision but at some stage, you made you, your decision was incorrect. It wasn't getting the outcome that you were hoping it was going to get, and because it doesn't get and or getting other outcomes that you didn't ever expect, that's the most important thing. As opposed to saying oh, I'm capitulating, you know, like in other words, I'm not giving in to you, your views, not you, my kid. I'm talking about. Um, in my case, it'd be my grandkids, I guess. But I'm not giving in. It's not me turning over to your decision or your thinking. But what I'm going to say is my thinking was incorrect and didn't give me the outcome I was hoping. But it may have been correct at that point in time. Maybe at that time it was the best on you. Yes. It was correct at the time. It was the best decision I could make at the time. But now I know more. That's not the outcome I wanted to get. Well, they're not the outcomes I was expecting as opposed to what I want to get. Um, they're not things I'm happy about. I'm going to make a new decision. And you, the son or the daughter, this is how this is where you stand in relation to that so, because it doesn't have to be a decision you share if i'm buying you a car that's my decision it's not a decision you ha- you play a part in mm-hmm. you know that's my money i'm the dad i earned it um i'm going to make the decision that, that i can afford or suits me best or i think is best on the circumstances for you and for me if it doesn't work for you if it creates resentment or creates peer group pressure which creates a problem for my kid then i've got to sit down with the kid and explain that I don't have to apologise. Yep. I, I just say, look, I made a call at the time because I thought this, this, and this. It didn't work out that way. Um, now I'm making a new decision. Yeah. 
if you can, and uh, as opposed to sticking your guns just for the fucking sake of it. That's stupid. That, but what you've just said in the last minute, that also directly transfers to business. Yeah, all the time. It's the same. It's the one and the same. Yeah, mate, I've made so many fucking mistakes, Mark, in the last three years in business. What I thought I knew. It's like, but it's all I knew at the time. Yeah. It's all I knew at the time. And what I've learned is through my therapist, just because you apologize, people don't owe you their forgiveness. No, totally. And nor do you have to get angry if they don't accept it. Apologize for you, not for them. Yeah. Because totally. you're the one that has to walk around with it. Yeah. We all, all of us, we do, everything we do actually has to be selfish. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I know exactly what you mean. But you do it for yourself. And don't expect you doing it for somebody else. And they're not going to necessarily give you a hug or clap or cheer or shake your hand and say, oh, thanks, I feel much better now. <laughs> if They might. but It feels good when they do. Yeah, no, they might, yeah, and that's good. But you're not doing it for them. You're doing it for yourself. Even when you apologize, you're not doing it for them. No, you're doing it for yourself, always. Um, because that's just the thing that should be done. Vincent, good on you, mate. Pleasure to meet you. Well done. Thank you.